Good morning, Redemption Hill Church. All right, it's good to see everyone. Some of you caught word of our March Madness Challenge, which was to show up in the building at 1015 and be in the room at 1025. And I've had a lot of questions say, what's for the winner? Uh, I don't know yet. But I am going to give something to Rich and Francine Saren. All right, let's give it up. Let's give it up. Hey, come on. That was like I'm, I'm jealous I wasn't here first. I'm bitter. We need to give a sincere uh, clap for the Sarens. That's right. Um, they were, uh, Pastor John said they were like the 10 seed, but they pulled off the upset. So we can get excited about that. Uh, but we're, uh, we're here to worship our God today. Uh, we've had a week of prayer and fasting, just seeking God's face, praying together on the daily about specific matters in our lives and our church family. And uh, we know that God has heard us, Lord, that he loves us, that there is joy in his presence. And uh, that's what we're going to celebrate today. So let's pray and then let's stand and sing with everything we've got. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for this morning, Lord. We are grateful for the opportunity to draw near to you, to worship you, to have our hearts and our vision aligned with your heart and your vision. So God, as we sing, Lord, may these not just simply be words, but may they be words full of life, words full of meaning today. As we voice our songs to you and as you speak to us throughout our time of worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, kids, you guys can hang tight with us because uh, we want you to be a part of our Multiply March focus. As you guys know, over the past few weeks, we've identified this as Multiply March. We're really challenging our church. What does it look like for us to be a part of the Great Commission and seeing the gospel multiplied locally but to the nations? And our, our vision focus this year is in Boston as in heaven. And so for our Multiply March focus, we've chosen to identify the Four Greater Boston Initiative, which has three main and three key parts to it. The first one is a focus on indigenous church planting, like raising up locals um, and, and church planting and, and funding residencies to equip our planters. You guys heard Aaron Cavan, our Sin City missionary, talk about that. The second focus we heard about from Amy Costello last week, and Marsha was up here, is about spouse care. And how we're caring for our planters, their spouses, um, and, and that being instrumental for them staying on the field. Well, today, we're going to talk about the third focus, which is next-gen mobilization. So I know many of you guys know me as one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill Church, John Chassin. Well, I'm taking my pastor hat off, and I'm now putting on my next-gen Boston. So I am the director of next-gen mobilization in Boston and this is... Hi, uh, my name is Tally. I get a church at the well in East Boston, and I'm the assistant director of Next Gen Mobilization here in Boston. And Tally is wicked awesome. And so we get to work together with this initiative. I want to tell you a little bit about it and what our heart beats for. And so what we're after is mobilizing college students and recent grads to live strategic for the glory of God in Boston. And our primary focus is not college students in Greater Boston. Because our, we're trusting that our local churches and our network are, have ministries that are engaging those campuses. Our focus is primarily outside of Greater Boston. And here's, what, here's the message we're challenging college students with. You're going to graduate and go live somewhere. Don't, don't just default to what's comfortable or what's easy. Would you be willing to give your first two years out of college, to living in a strategic place. And there are a lot of places they can do that. Boston is just one of them. And so what we've done is we're building out pathways that a student could explore what would it look like for them to come to a city like Boston and live strategically. And so, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had 50 college students that are up here for spring break and serving alongside of church plants, really getting a, a heart for the lostness here and the opportunity. So break trips we oversee for college students. The, the, the top of the funnel for us is what's called Jensend Summer. You guys hear us talk about Jensend in Summerling. This summer, we will have 100 college students that will spend eight weeks in the city serving 18 different church plants. One of those, yes, we can give that, get up, that's awesome. One of those teams will be at Redemption Hill, and we know how important they are. I mean, they're serving on Sundays, set up, serving in kids, teardown, connections team, and then Monday through Friday, their life on mission in the context of, of Redemption Hill and Medford across our city. And now imagine that's happening across 18 of our church plants. So the summer for us is a, is a big push. Um, and then there's a semester. A student can say, I'm going to graduate, and I'm going to spend a semester in Boston working alongside of a church plant. Um, but really, like, the long, larger vision is this go-to. And, and maybe there's some college students that may be future church planners or ministry leaders, but really what gets us excited are those that are going to enter the marketplace. 
many of those that are just like you. Like, uh, dream with me. Like, you heard from Aaron. We want to plant 200 churches by 2040. Our job or our, our vision is to mobilize 2,000 college students to be a part of those church plants. Now, now, just follow me. What if a student graduates and they get a job in the marketplace in Boston, an educator, finance, engineering? Like, what if we were to go to Medford Public Schools and say, we want to saturate them with followers of Christ who are going to live as an everyday spirit-led missionary, and they're going to see their workplace as their mission field? Because the reality is, is the best person to reach the 97% of the people in Boston who don't know Jesus, it's not pastors. It's you guys and these college students. They're saying, I'm going to go there, and that's my mission field. And what if we multiplied that by 2,000 and saturated our city in these church plants? I believe our church plants will be stronger and will be more readily able to accelerate church planting in the city. You guys can tell I get a little bit excited and passionate about this. Tally is a perfect example of what we're trying to do. So, Tally, why don't you share a little bit about your story? Yeah, um, so I'll just kind of share, like John said, a little bit of my story is like a practical example of how that works. So, um, I went to the University of Tennessee, um, graduated from there about two years ago. So, um, my senior year of college, I was looking at, you know, like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life and had no idea. Um, and really, like, throughout college, I'd had this calling to go to unreached and unengaged people groups, so places where there's little access to the gospel. So, my, in my mind, I was like, all right, so when I graduate, I'm going to move overseas um, somewhere, and I'm going to go live in an unreached people group, and that's what I'm doing. And just through a different series of events, I ended up in Boston after my senior year and was like, what am I doing here? This is crazy. Um, and just through that summer, like, God broke my heart for this city. I remember sitting down to coffee with a woman um, and just talking with her, being able to share the gospel, and she was like, wow, I've never heard that before. Um, and in that moment, I was just realized, like, the unreached people group that God was calling me to was here in Boston um, and moving here to Boston. So after I spent that summer here, uh, I served alongside of Church at the Well in East Boston. They became like a family to me during that summer. And um, I moved back two months later and uh, started serving in my local church and um, serving at our coffee house. And a few months later, started working with John um, as a semester missionary. So kind of that second segment we talk about coming, serving uh, for a semester. And in that time, God really just clarified, like, my role, like, how I can serve both the city and how I can serve my local church and clarified kind of exactly, not exactly, but what role that would look like. Um, and so I did that for a semester. And then at the end of it, I was like, hey, John, I love doing this. I love walking alongside of college students and kind of helping them do what I did and, like, helping them see, like, you can move strategically after college. Like, this is the most, like, freedom you'll have your entire life to be able to choose to move somewhere. Why not choose to use that strategically for the sake of the gospel? Um, and so now that's what I get to do. Uh, John talks about 100 students coming to the city this summer. 60% or more are going to be female. So I kind of get to take on the role of, like, discipleship and leadership development of the women um, that are coming up this summer. And, man, I'm just really excited to see what God's going to do with 100 students that come to our city this summer. Yeah. Hey, let's give it up for Tally. Like, she's a huge, just not an example of how God's using her in East Boston with Church of the Well, but also in assisting me as we're doing this. And so let me just give you a few tangible next steps and then ways that you can pray for us. Um, so when, when these college students land May 30th, one of those teams is going to be at Redemption Hill. Um, let me challenge you with this. The team that lands here, would you consider inviting them into your home? Share your life with them. Cook a meal for them. Talk about how you're living missionally in your spaces and places where God's placed you. Like, they need to see that. Um, so, so do that with our team here. Um, but also, like, with, with our larger team, there may be some ways that you're like, hey, I've got some freedom this summer that I would love to serve 
um, some of the larger events you guys pull off with these 100 college students, come let us know. We'd love to think about some ways that you could do that. And then some of you, you're like, hey, John, you've already con connected or talked with me. Oftentimes, I've got college students that are just pitching their major. I, I tell people oftentimes my job is to take a sledgehammer to every excuse a college student gives me for why they can't come to our city. So, like, I'm hitting up some of you, and I'm like, hey, here's the major, like sound production, audio engineering, or whatever, and I'm like, hey, are there any jobs or internships in the summer that they could explore? So as you think about your business and where you're working, if there are ways that you could see a college student doing a summer internship or a pathway to getting a job, I would love to connect with you because that's, what in, my, in a lot of ways, we're just connecting students to the marketplace and then, and then church plant. So here's how you can pray for us. This week, we basically are at the verge of closing Boston and starting to form these 18 teams. I think we're like 90-plus applicants right now. And so would you pray that God would give us wisdom as we start forming these teams, partnering them up with their church plants, and then that this summer, that God's hand of favor would be in, not just as these students like live on mission, like it's a highly developmental experience. We say we're developing those missionaries, that God would just use the ordinary means of grace along with these church plants to just spark a movement of college students that are saying, we will go wherever you want us to go, and we'll do whatever you want us to do. And um, I love what we just sang there. Lead us out in love to those around us. And, and that's really what we're challenging students to do. So join me as I pray. And just, we, we're grateful for you guys joining for Greater Boston, whether it's giving or serving in some tangible way to see the gospel go forward here. Let's pray. Father, God, you've been so good to us. God, I thank you for this opportunity and even tally that, that we have to steward the students you send our way. And God, we just pray, God, would, would there just be a movement, a wave of students that are saying, we want to come live strategically in Boston for the glory of God. And God, would, would you just fill our churches with them? God, we pray for the hundred this summer. God, give us wisdom as we form teams. And God, we just pray, God, that you would be moving in these students in and through them, that their eyes would be open that they would be willing to go and do whatever you want them to do. They would be led out in love to those around them. And God, um, God, we just give the city to you. God, our heart beats in Boston as it is in heaven. So God, send laborers. And God, I pray for our churches, from Redemption Hill to Church at the Well to those scattered across greater Boston, that we would not see college students as burdens, but as great opportunities to invite them in, to invest in them, to disciple them, and to release and send them as missionaries. And that, um, God, God, you have your way in our churches and our city. God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Let's give it up for John and Tally. Uh, so encouraging to see what God is doing across our city, especially amongst the next generation. Well, uh, our kids can now head up to be with our team in Redemption Kids. And I would like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of First. Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. And as you turn there, I want to welcome all of our guests. Can we, uh, can we welcome all of our guests and say thank you for joining us. Uh, we, we are so grateful that you've come today. We hope you'll take a minute to download our church app and find the digital connect card on the homepage. Just take a minute to fill it out so we can get to know you and uh, hit you up later this week. Uh, well, uh, as, you, as you turn to 1 Thessalonians, I want to share a story from uh, my early 20s. In fact, it was really early 20s. I was 20 years old. And uh, I was serving as the youth intern in my church, and our student pastor had uh, planned a mission trip to the state of Utah. 
a beautiful place if you've never been there. And so we, we drove across the country all the way to Utah. And it was our purpose and mission to help get a church literally off the ground that was starting a new church in Cedar City, Utah. And so we were actually going into like hang up drywall and 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 put some, you know, boards together in the, in the construction of this new church. And, of course, we were going to be serving the, the community and other areas. And if you, you know anything about Utah, uh, it, is, it is full of people who follow the ways of Mormonism, which is, is not the same thing as Christianity. And so we were excited to be able to share our faith in Jesus, the, the biblical Jesus, uh, with those that uh, believe differently than we do. And so we, we made our way into Utah, and... And we get to this fast food place and, you know, leaders step back and let everyone else go before them, right? And so uh, I'm kind of hanging out, watching all the kids make their orders and they're, they're getting their food, sitting down. And so I finally get my, you know, burger and fries, whatever. And, and I'm going to make my way to find a, a table and I see an empty spot with some of our students and some other local kids there in the, the, the fast food place. And they're engaging them and getting them to, to know them. And they, they start talking about, what are you doing? Oh, we're on a trip and we're here to serve a church. And it's like this conversation is going somewhere, right? And so uh, the Bible answer man sits down and I start asking questions. And I start sharing scriptures. And then, you know, the conversation isn't going exactly like I, I hoped. And, and they weren't just necessarily saying, oh, yeah, you're right. And, this, this, this. and so, so I asked another question. And I, and I uh, would share another Bible verse, you know, and, and, and got a little maybe even louder with my tone. And, and, and Mr. Bible Answer Man has now totally derailed this conversation. In fact, to the point where our youth pastor comes over and he taps me on the shoulder, he's like, hey, can, can we talk for a minute? And he pulls me aside and says, hey, listen, what you're doing, we don't do that. Not only is it not helping these local kids that you're trying to help, but you're not being helpful. No, is it not helping them? You're providing a really bad example for our students. And so Mr. Bible Answer Man was high on zeal, high on passion, very low on wisdom, which is a nicer way of saying high on stupi stupidity, right? <laughs> so so, so I, I learned my lesson. I was much more patient, much more wise, much more loving in the conversations that transpired. But I think you get the idea when it comes to sharing our faith in Jesus. What we say is of ultimate importance, but how we say it, as my mentor says, has never been more important. And this is what, this is what Paul gets at when, when he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I want you to listen to these words as I read them for us. He is speaking of the approach of our appeal. All right, the approach of our appeal. Listen to this. He says this, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't pointless. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God 
to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I got the, I got the boldness point that day. I didn't get the rest. Here it is. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul takes us in here to not simply our appeal, which is to put forward an urgent invitation, all right, that, that's, that's persuasive content. We want to present the message of the gospel persuasively, even with an urgency. There is an appeal, but we want to make sure that our approach lines up and reflects the very appeal we are making. In other words, how we share what we share is so important and crucial as we hold out the beauty and the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is going to, to take us into some, some do's and don'ts of pointing people to Jesus. And I hope you can learn a few lessons today so you don't repeat the errors of 20-year-old Mr. Bible Answer Man. All right? So, so let's, let's hang in there as Paul walks us through uh, these verses. So uh, let me just say before we get into the, to the don'ts of this that, that this gets me excited for a couple of reasons. Number one, as we think about presenting the gospel in a way that reflects the gospel, it, it shows that the gospel actually transforms our lives so that how we communicate reflects the very message that we're communicating, right? Number one. But then number two, the, the purity, please hear this. This is so important. You might miss it, okay? The purity of our appeal will amplify our appeal. You follow me? Amen? The purity of our appeal will amplify our appeal. And not only that, I am very confident that it will free us to want to make our appeal all the more frequently. Right? When we really get how God wants us to communicate, it will actually motivate us to communicate all the more. Follow me? Got it? Got it. All right, let's go. So what are some don'ts of our approach that Paul points out here? The first one he would say in verse 3, he begins and he says that our appeal does not spring from error. All right, so, so we want to avoid speaking error. We want to, to avoid speaking things that aren't, aren't true. And we can think about Paul's language here. What is he, what is he saying? He says that, that our appeal did not spring from, it wasn't founded upon error. In other words, what we say about God, the claims we make about Jesus, the explanations regarding why we're here, how we got here, what's wrong with our world, how it can be made right, what that has to do with us, how we can get in on that rightness, all of that springs from a place that is founded upon truth. 
And so what we find in the Bible from a biblical worldview, in other words, a way of seeing the world that is consistent with the Bible, is that there is such thing as absolute truth. And we, we live, you know this already, we live in a very relativistic culture, which to translate that in modern day conversation, hey, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Right? And you have these conversations, right, in your workplace and, and with your friends. And, and, and that, think about the irony of that statement. Even that statement, you have your truth and I have my truth, is actually what? It's an absolute claim of truth, right, that, that, which is contradictory. And so we, 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 uh, we, we, we remember that we are speaking from the foundation of truth, the good news of the gospel. And just to review, I know if you've been walking with Jesus very long and you've certainly experienced this for yourself, but even if you're new to Christianity, listen, this is just a simple explanation of why we get so excited and why we sing very loud on Sunday mornings when it comes to the message of Christ. John 3.16, you might want to write these verses down. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, anyone, whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die separated from God, but will have and experience eternal life. And this was necessary, why? Because of what Romans 3.23 says. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of God's, we sing about God's perfections and his beauty and his glory. We all fall short of that. We don't measure up to that. And that's a really significant problem. Because the Bible goes on to say in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, this is not just a physical thing that one day we will all die physically, which is most certainly true, but the Bible says that spiritually on the inside, we are dead to God, dead to the things of God. We are spiritually separated from God now, and we will step into eternity forever separated from him if we don't receive the good news of Romans 5.8. Because Romans 5, 8 says this, what? But while we were sinners. This is the way that God demonstrated his love for us. He showed us how much he loves us. I hope this resonates in your heart today. And if you're new, that this raises your curiosities about the, the, the love of God. That, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross that if we would Romans 10, 9 says, if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be brought back into a relationship with God. And this is the good news of the gospel. It is simple as that. It is four or five verses. You can share the gospel in one verse. For Christ died to bring us to God. 1 Peter 3, 18. That's the, that's the whole gospel in about... What, eight to ten words. And this is the message that we stick to. We speak truth. We stick to scripture. We don't have to go looking for new material. We follow the example of Jesus who was what? John 1.14 says he was full of grace. He was also what? Full of truth. 
we follow the example of Paul in Ephesians 4.15 when he says, we speak the truth in love. So we, we don't water it down in either direction, okay? The gift of salvation. If you, if you want to know, like, how can, I, how can I receive this love of God? Is there anything that I have to do to earn it? And the Bible says absolutely not. It is the gift of God. For, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a free gift. And yet, there is also a costly call to discipleship that when a person chooses to follow Jesus and they say, Jesus, you are my Lord, that means you are in charge and now I am following you with everything I've got so that my thoughts reflect your thoughts and my desires reflect your desires and my actions reflect your actions. So there's a, a, a sense of total surrender. Even as we receive the free gift of salvation, there is no such thing in the Bible as cheap grace. And so when we present the gospel, when we share the good news, number one, we, we don't speak error. We speak from the bedrock foundation of God's truth, Jesus Christ and what he has revealed in his word. But then, then number two, listen, we avoid twisted hearts and twisted words. Paul goes on and he says that our appeal does not spring from error, or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. And when Paul talks about impurities, he's, he's starting to get below the surface, and he's talking about what, what our eyes can't immediately see, which is our motives. And he explains some of these motives as he goes on, and, and he says in the next phrase, or any attempt to deceive. And we need to understand what's going on a bit in, in the history of, of this area of the world and in Greek culture that, you know, we've said it before that they, they, they didn't have these great musicians, you know, filling up stadiums and they didn't have these amazing athletes uh, to, to watch on TV, but people gravitated to hear orators. Stand up in, in amphitheaters and, and even on street corners and gather a crowd with their oratorical skills. And many of these orators would use rhetorical tricks to draw people in. They would play on their emotions. They would put forth irrational promises by appealing to their vulnerabilities and their overwhelming sense of need. We see this today, by the way, right? We, we can turn on the TV and sometimes even see a people posing as, as gospel preachers who are, you know, saying if you just sow this seed, then you're going to receive, you know, 10 to 100 to 200 fold in return, right? This is exactly what Paul is denouncing here, this bogus presentation of the truth of God. And Paul's saying, we're not, we're not like that. That's not us. We speak with sincerity. In fact, we believe, I love this, we believe our message is so strong. Just the message that I just shared with you, that it is so strong that we don't need tricks, we don't need add-ons, we don't need touch-ups to the good news, but we just speak exactly what God has revealed. And we also don't have to come with words of flattery, you know, like we don't have to, to make you feel good about yourself, oh, you're so beautiful today, and look at this, it's like these empty compliments to kind of draw a listening ear to make the message more believable. 
Paul says, we just give it to you straight up. And this reminds us, listen, love, love is attractive. Love is attractive. And the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. If we would really believe, listen, most of, most of all of this, even our sharing or lack of sharing, most of it boils down to this one thing. Do we trust ourselves or do we trust God? Right? Thank God for our guest worship leaders coming in from Rhode Island today. Jonas and Becky Woods and Jonas said it, right? It's like we think that the power lies with us. And the power belongs to God. Romans 1.16 says it, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, the power is not in your words. The only reason your words have power is that the, they reflect the truth, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is empowering your words to touch human hearts, to help them to see this is exactly what my heart has been longing for all along my entire life. I just didn't know where to find it. Amen? Amen. So we don't speak air. We don't speak from twisted hearts or twisted words. And also, we, we don't serve from a place of selfish ambition. And I, I think this one, I'll speak for myself, this one is the hardest one. This one is the one that probably cuts at our hearts the most deeply. Because Paul goes on, and what does he, what does he say in verse 4? He says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, look at this, not to please people, but to please God who tests our hearts. The first thing we see here is that our selfish ambition leads us to want to either gain approval from the people around us or keep the approval we think we already have. Am I preaching to anyone here today? Is this, is this, not, is this not how it works? So, so, so therefore, I'm either going to say certain things or I'm not going to say certain things because I'm afraid if I say that or don't say that, that there is going to be the consequence of someone not liking me as much. And we call that the motive of people pleasing. So we have to decide, will we care more about what people think of us or more about what God thinks of us? Are we ultimately trying to please people or are we ultimately trying to please God? I want to give you a framework. This just hit me this morning, okay? I think it's going to be helpful. There, there are always three participants in every conversation. All right? You tracking with me? This isn't, this isn't like theological rocket science, but I think it's going to be super helpful for you this Easter season and way beyond, okay? So there are three participants in every conversation. You the person or people we're talking to, and God. Yes, thank you. Okay, so this is what we believe, that God is everywhere, that he is present. In fact, he is in us. If we follow Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so 
We good? Us, them, and, come on, people. God, there we go. We're, we're rolling today. All right, so, so the question is, in these conversation, okay, fear, let me say it this way, fear reveals who's first, all right? Fear, our fear reveals who's first. In other words, who is most important in the conversation. So, so if we fear that our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, that if we say certain things, that now they're going to look at us in a different way, they're going to think we're crazy, they think that we lost our minds, okay, then what's probably going to happen is that we are, it's showing us that we fear what they think more than who God is. And, and the Proverbs say it like this in Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of people lays a snare. It traps us up. It keeps us from moving in the ways of God. But when we have our eyes fixed on God and we care more about what, and we're fearing him, then it frees us up to with confidence and love just speak with kindness and compassion the truths that have changed our lives. And so who do you fear the most? Listen, uh, I want you to know I do this all the time. I fail in this area all the time. My fear gets misplaced. I know I love God, and I say that I fear God the most, and that is usually true of my life. But when it comes to these conversations, these everyday conversations, all of a sudden my, she my fear shifts from here to there. And this fear of what they think and how this is going to go and if this is going to jeopardize this or that, then all of a sudden it, it holds me back from loving them in Jesus' name. But I want to give you two thoughts, all right? Number one, I love this. This came out in a community group. I'll never forget. We were having these similar conversations about five years ago. And I remember this specific person that was talking about in their workplace, holding back and, and wanting to please people more than please God. And I'm like, I get it. We're all there. We all get it. And the, I believe the Holy Spirit just put this thought into my mind for her, but not just for her, for me and for everyone else. We have less to fear than we think we do. We have less to fear than we think we do. I mean, most people, listen, most people are not going to lose it if we mention the name Jesus. Right? Most people are not going to unfriend us. They're not going to talk bad behind our backs if we simply point them to Jesus with a heart full of kindness. Number one, we have less to fear than we think we do. But then number two, and this is, this is so key to actually getting to the place where we are not gripped, please God, free us from being gripped by the fear of people, people pleasing we have to get to the place that my friend Mike McMillan, probably the, the greatest, uh, you know, most effective person that I've seen in Boston pointing other people to Jesus. Sadly, he doesn't live here anymore, right? But he grew up here, South Boston, tats all over the place. He's got this sweet one of David and Goliath. I wish you could see it. But um, I'll, I'll explain to you another time. But, but this is what he said, because I just, I'm trying to learn too. I'm trying to grow. And so I don't know, baby, if you're trying to grow, you talk to people that you see that are doing it well. And I said, Mike, like, what's... What's the deal? What's like, help me, encourage me. And he said, you know what, Tanner? 
what we have to do in order to point people to Jesus and, and do it more frequently, we have to get over ourselves. We have to get over ourselves. In, in other words, think about that again. Fear God, fear pe- people, which is really what? Caring about ourselves. And Paul says, look, we, we didn't show up in Thessalonica having come from Philippi where they just beat the mess out of us and imprisoned us and are putting death threats on our heads and they're following us from place to place. Listen, even in spite of all that suffering, we still showed up to let you know about Jesus. Because why? Because our lives are not most important anymore. Our love for God and our fear of him trumps and triumphs over our concern about ourselves and even our concern about what you're going to think. And so Paul says, look, we're not trying to please people. In fact, he goes on in verse 6, he says, we're not seeking glory from people. We're not in this for the likes or the views or whatever. We're here to care for people. We're here to point them to Jesus. And and then let's not miss verse 5 where it says this, nor for a pretext for greed. So it's, it's one thing to to have selfish ambition so that other people will like you or they will continue to like you. It's another thing to be in the ministry so that you can earn a paycheck. Listen, if, if ministry becomes about money, it's no longer ministry. And I know this mainly applies to vocational, right, people like me. I get paid by this church graciously, super thankful. But, but if, if ministry was ever about money, then that minister is disqualified for ministry. I, I really believe it. We don't do this for selfish gain. We don't, we don't do this. This is, by the way, why Paul says this is because that's what the orators in Greek society were doing. The better they communicated, the more, the more money they got. And that's why Paul, one of the reasons Paul went in to cities and he started making tents because he didn't want anyone to get it twisted and confused that he was doing this For the Benjamins, he was doing it for Jesus. And so we we avoid these, the the don'ts of our approach. We we avoid error. We, we, We watch our heart and our words from twisted, impure motives. And we guard ourselves against selfish ambition. But it's not just the things that we don't do. But God has some things that he wants us to step into. And how he wants us to be about his business of pointing people to the greatest treasure the world has ever known. Number, number one, we, this, is, this is what we do, okay? We move out with boldness. We move out with boldness. I hope someone's listening this morning, okay? Our, our vision as a church is to be a church on the move. This is what we've been praying. We were praying all week, right? That God would make us a church on the move. Not comfortable, but courageous, that God would fill us with courage, that he would fill us with boldness. This is what Paul says. He says, although we had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had what? We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel. The, the NIV says it like this, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. The NLT says, yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly. Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases it like this. We had just been given rough treatment in Philippi, as you know, but that didn't slow us down. 
We were sure of ourselves in God. And we went right ahead and said our peace, presenting God's message to you, defiant of the opposition. God wants to give us boldness. He wants to give us courage. I love Monday morning. We were praying. Uh, we had nightly prayer, but we still kept our Monday morning, 6 a.m. You can come tomorrow morning at the center. Can't wait to see you. And then also uh, Wednesday morning of 6 to early, 6.30, Zoom. It's free. You can roll out of bed. You don't have to turn on your video to participate. We still love you if you show up with no video. In fact, sometimes you're doing us a favor if you don't turn on the video <laughs> at 6.30. I'm just saying. So anyway, so, so we were on Monday morning. We were, uh, you know, praying, and we were praying into this idea of, of consecration and being set apart, as we heard last week about the week of prayer and fasting. And so God brings us verse to mind. I'm flipping to 2 Chronicles 16.9, which says, what, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are wholly given to him. But as I look over at my Bible, I see that I had underlined last year, probably, or the year before, uh, a verse that from, from chapter 17, verse 6, that says this about Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. It says that his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And I said, God, make that true of me. You see, I wasn't blowing smoke when I said I fear people more than I fear God. Far too often. It was Monday night. Pastor Reddy was leading our prayers for mission and multiply march. And at the end of every night, I love this. This is what happens at fire nights, by the way, the first Friday of every month, is that we, we pray and we sing and we whatever. And then at the end of our time, we always give space. Like if anyone has a personal prayer need, if anyone just has stuff going on that they need a prayer about for them or someone else, we, we make sure that people are, are prayed with and prayed over. And so Pastor Reddy gave this opportunity. And we're sitting in a circle, and, and I'm in the circle. I'm not, I'm just participating the, that night. And, and so, have you ever had this happen? The Holy Spirit starts like, that's you, man. You need some prayer. And I just sat there. And he said, like, that's you. You need some prayer. Like, Did you hear me the first time? I'll say it again. You need some prayer. I didn't speak up. Pastor Reddy leads us in the final prayer. And then, as we're praying the third time, that's you. You need us. I said, Pastor Reddy, would you, I just need some prayer. God's put a, a burden on my heart to be uh, more faithful and frequent and connecting with people who don't yet know Jesus. And you know what I need more than anything? I need courage. I need courage. And so I, I sat in the middle of the circle. People came around. They laid their hands on me. And they prayed for Pastor Tanner that I would have more courage to point more people to the love of God in Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, when you do that, you might find yourself getting like quadruply blessed in the moment and actually strengthened with some crazy power. Okay, I don't have like 10 stories. Like, hey, I love these people to Jesus this week. But, but, but really, I, I'm stronger. And, and, and as people were praying, I was marking things and writing them down and they're praying certain scriptures and they're like five things that are written in my journal. I could show you where God is saying, lean into that, pray into that, study that. Move out with that kind of love. What about you? Do you need a little more courage? Do you need a little more boldness? Listen, I know it's difficult in our culture to, to talk about Jesus and to, to point people to Jesus. And it's not as hard as we think it is. I'm going to share some encouragement at the very end. But may God fill us with courage. This is what we pray for. I love Friday night. One of, one of uh, our REC our, our, our members uh, just simply prayed this prayer profound prayer 
he, he prayed this, would our fear drive us to you? Amen? I mean, I didn't hear any groans. I didn't hear any mm's. I didn't hear any like, that's good. I didn't hear any, may our fear drive us to you. So listen, we're going to, we are going to be fearful. We have fallen hearts. We care so much about ourselves. We're going to have fear. You're going to have fear this week. But let that fear drive you to God and pray. And like Acts chapter 4, I don't have time to read it, but go read it this week. Because what Paul says, the the, the three magic words in verse 2 here is what he says. We had boldness in our God. God is the source of our boldness. He is the source of our courage. If you want to see someone who was courageous, just read the Gospels and look at Jesus Christ. Full of courage to the point of death on a Roman cross. We move with boldness. Number two, we, I love this. We, we move with boldness from God's approval, not for God's approval. We, we, we move out. From God's approval, not for God's approval. This might be the secret key that unlocks the door of our hesitancy. If, if we would, if we would I, I love what uh, Chip Judd, uh, a, a, a counselor and leader uh, in the church in America says uh, these days. Uh, he says this, I want you to like me. We all want to be liked, right? That's cool. That's great. That's, that's being a human. We all want to be liked. But this is what he says, I want you to like me but I don't need you to like me. You you follow me? I want you to like me, but I don't need you to like me. If God likes me and you don't like me, then you're stupid because God really likes me. Right? If If God likes you, then it's settled, it's done. And this is, listen, this is the place of freedom. This is the place of security. This is self-worth is a sign not from the inside but the outside. And the outside person is God himself. So what God says about you when he says to Jesus, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy, he speaks that over all of his sons and daughters. He speaks that over you. You are my dearly loved daughter and you bring me great joy. God delights over you. He approves of you. And this is what will free us up to move out with urgent love. I mean, if you're anything like me, listen, you have spent much of your Christian life trying to do good things for God. And you think by doing those good things that God is going to like you more. Now, you may not like say that and like sign that on a theological, you know, test after church or whatever. We don't do those, by the way. But it... But, but functionally and practically, you think, let me just put it like, you showed up today, God likes me more. Read my Bible a few days, God must like me a little bit more this week. Listen, not, not only is that backwards, that is paralyzing. It's paralyzing. That view of God is quicksand. And it will keep you from moving out with boldness and loving the people around you. When you know you have been approved by God and that God just loves you because you're his kid, 
You're freed up to run. You're freed up to go. You're freed up to, to dish out some, some service with a smile and point people to Jesus so that they can know how great he is. We, we move with boldness from God's approval, not for God's approval, and ultimately, as we just talked about on the flip side, for God's pleasure. Galatians 1.10 sums it up. It's gold. It says, Paul says there, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so in all of this we learn, listen, in all of this, the approach of our appeal, in all of this we learn, pointing people to Jesus must involve an approach that amplifies our appeal. And as, I, and as I shared last week about fasting and prayer, as crazy as that maybe sounded, that this is for everyone, that there's no I in team, but there's a you and us. Are you, are you getting tired of me saying that around here? It's okay. I'm not going to stop. <laughs> you know, I, I know some are like, man, no screens from 5 to 9. Pastor Tina, you're crazy. You're crazy, bro. I, I have my cert, I have my. I, Addict, addict certification when it comes to technology. I cannot fast from five to nine. By the way, it was so great to hear of the participation. I got a testimony from one of our parents who said that they just love to see their kids playing and laughing together instead of on screens in the evening. Can we praise God for that? That's awesome. So we had some great participation this past week. I don't know if it was 100. I hope it was. I don't know. I may never know. Whatever. It's fine. But we're calling for the same thing. We're, we want to see the same, the same kind of involvement when it comes to this, this task of, of bringing an appeal to the people around us, to love people in the name of Jesus Christ. This is not just for the big shot church leaders who know the Bible really well. This is for everyone who says, hey, I follow Jesus and I want to be a part of his mission in my neighborhood, workplace, and city. And so I want to I bring our time to a close with a simple, simple challenge. And again, this challenge is for you. This challenge is for all of us. And it's not super, like, amazing, you know. There's not, like, a marketing scheme behind this. We chose the greatest whatever plan and phrase. Or, okay, this is so simple. It's the 2-1 challenge. How do you like that? The 2-1 challenge. The 2-1 challenge over the next two weeks. What is it? Number one, the challenge is to invite two people to join you for Easter. I mean, if, if you want to, like, maybe be a little awkward, but, but at least some courageous, I mean, just, just take the card and just, get, just blow by somebody and be like, here you go. You know what I'm saying? Like, at least, like, you, that's, more, that's more than keeping them in your pocket for the next two weeks. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's, like, maybe not exactly what Paul's getting at here. But, but, but we can do this, right? We can, we can invite people in our lives that, that we care about that we've walked with, just to say, hey, uh, our church, this Easter's coming up. I would love for you to come and join me for Easter. I'll save you a seat. As simple as that. And then, and then not just to invite two people to join you, but to speak to one person about your faith in Jesus Christ. And you say, oh, Pastor Tina, I find this very difficult, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to say. Uh, I've done this before, but I'm going to do it again because we all need the reminders. 
I want to give you 21 ways, super quick, and then I'm going to pray. All right, 21 ways you can point someone to Jesus. All right, number one, invite someone to RIC. There you go. This is a way to, to point someone, just a simple invitation where they'll hear about Jesus as we sing and pray and worship and hear from God's word. Serve someone and share why. I mean, you guys are awesome, and you're always serving people and loving people. Just attach some credit to Jesus so they don't think you're so awesome. Because you're really not, right? I mean, neither am I. So um, <laughs> you're awesome, but not that awesome. All right. Number three, share an inspiring Bible verse. Just something that, that resonates with you. I mean, people aren't like crazy, like, that. oh, that's interesting, you know. Number four, share a sermon. Share a sermon link. Share a worship service link. Number five, number six, share a podcast. Number seven, pray with someone. Just stop and pray with them. And God can move mountains in those moments. Number eight, study the Bible with someone. Number nine, share your salvation story or testimony. Number ten, share a story of how God is changing you. I mean, I know if you're walking with Jesus, he's doing stuff in your life. And as you share that stuff, then you can just tell people, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. And it's pretty cool. Share your daily God encounters. What you need to know is what God is teaching you on the daily. Just to share it with people as you're in everyday conversation. Give someone a Bible, number 13. Uh, give someone a copy of, the, of a gospel. Don't give them the whole Bible, just give them a little gospel. And we have those available for you. Uh, number, number 15, give or loan someone a book. When you leave today, you're going to get this little book. I mean, I'm sure it's a book. Maybe it's a booklet. Uh, people can probably read it in about an hour. And it is titled, Is Easter Unbelievable? by Rebecca McLaughlin. Boston's own, Hope Fellowship's own in Cambridge. Uh, it's an excellent book. Ask four questions, super simple, presentation of the gospel. Hey, I, I, I got this. I want to share it with you. Discuss a cultural event from a Christian worldview. Share an article or start, and start a conversation. Share a song. Thank you, Jonas. Uh, send a YouTube video. Share an intentional social media post. Be honest about your life. What, what are you up to this weekend? Oh, I'm just, you know, watching this and that and whatever. It's like church. church? Just be honest. And then you fill in the blank. Listen, if we take a small step, God can move in those moments to move people's hearts and draw them to Jesus. Whether it takes a long time or a short time, God is on the move. And so as we, as we bring our time to a close, I just want to share real quick. Friday night, our students were there at student group night, and we were asking this question, what hinders you from uh, serving people and sharing Jesus, and what helps you? And one of our 11-year-olds, Owen Chastain, said, what helps me is when I know something good might come out of it. And I think that I have a lot to learn from an 11-year-old. Because I know if I just simply point someone to Jesus in one of those 21 ways or whatever, then number one, it's going to light up the heart of God. And God's going to be super pumped up about it. But then number two, over time, as a group of people... <laughs> Like Redemption Hill, so seed after seed of the gospel that more and more and more people are going to be lit up with the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so let's pray and let's ask God to move us out, making an appeal for people to know him with this kind of approach of urgent love we we pray. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for how you speak to us from your word. And, God, we all are getting there. We all have room to grow. As I confessed and shared on Monday night, Lord, there is so much, Lord, there is so much that I have uh, to, 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 to 
room to grow in terms of um, courage and just stepping out in, in faith and, and, and loving the people around me. And so, Father, would you, uh, would you help us, God? Would you help us? Would you help us to, to care more about you than ourselves, than the people around us? God, would you put, would you put a, a burden on our heart? God, there are going to be just some names of people, Lord, we believe this, that, that just we just can't shake. And that's you actually tapping us on the shoulder and say, hey, reach out, say what's up, grab a cup of coffee, buy their lunch, whatever, and just, and just love them and serve them. And maybe in that moment we don't say anything about you, but maybe it's the next time. God, whatever, we want to be led by your Holy Spirit. God, we believe that you can change us, you can change our church, you can change our city. But God, we do also believe that the power belongs to you and you have to do it. So give us, give us humble hearts, give us willing hearts to receive what you desire to give and then move us out with this kind of urgent love to bring a blessing to the people of Boston so that they'll never be the same. And surprisingly, Lord, neither will we as we follow in the steps of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.
Don't sit down. Don't sit down. And uh, Jonas is going to keep playing. I love that. Wow, what a story. I didn't know that one. Um, and, you know, just uh, Marsha and I the counselor this week, my, my counselor, and uh, he said that, that most of life is like pulling away the, the junk, and then it's a little bit less of actually like stepping into all that, that God has. In other words, like there's a lot of just stuff that we have to deal with. We have to, to, get, to get rid of, release, put off, so that we can put on what God has for us, right? So, so the example here is fear. Like we, we release the fear. We, God deals with the fear so they can fill us with boldness, right? So I love that we, we sing this song. What a great song. The God of angel armies is, is with you. He's with us. Um, and I want to come back just for, for a moment, really just a moment, um, to sing that last part of God of revival. And it says, the darkest night, you will light it up. You will light it up, O God of revival. Let hope arise. Death is overcome. You've already won, God of revival. And I want to switch the words. If there's a copyright issue, I don't care. So we're not going to sing the darkest night. We're going to sing the darkest heart. And I want you to think about people in your life. John 5.25 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's now here. Jesus' words, not my words. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's now here. When the dead, we talked about those spiritually dead, not alive to God. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. This is our prayer. This is our prayer, yes. 
We can clap. We can get excited. Please, church, get a little more excited about the truth of God and what he can do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I know he's, I know he's met us here today. You just witnessed a firsthand collision. I wasn't expecting that. Wow. Um, so thankful. So now, now I'm supposed to shut the service down with a few final words. Uh, help me, Jesus. So number one, we're praying this week. You heard about it. Monday morning at the center, 6 a.m., also on Zoom, 6.30, all the info's online. Uh, then you need to know about uh, next Saturday night, we have a women's event at our community center. When, women, uh, be there. Sign up. It's going to strengthen you in your journey. Plus, you're going to get to connect with other uh, awesome women in our church. Uh, the, the topic is friendship, which is super important and relevant to all of us. Uh, so Emma's going to be leading that. It will help her with the event if you'll sign up today, like right now. Uh, find her. Uh, in the, you can find the link on our app as well. Uh, and then... Easter weekend is coming, and uh, we have a lot of great opportunities. Number one, we're doing some community egg hunts on Saturday morning, April 1st. We were at our park, car park in the Heights, and there were people taking pictures and scanning the code. Uh, there were like four in the 40 minutes we were there uh, that are probably planning to come. So this is awesome. Uh, but, but we need to show up. We need to serve. Uh, so um, invite friends, bring people, and serve, and let's bless our city. Uh, so it's going to be a great opportunity happening in five locations in and around Medford. Uh, then Good Friday, don't miss our Good Friday service right here, 7 p.m. Bring some friends, invite some people. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, back at our uh, usual time, 10.30 a.m. on Easter Sunday. And as we prepare and we pray and we invite and we step out in faith with boldness, uh, there are also some opportunities for you to serve. So uh, Pastor Reddy has sent out a communication on how you can get involved with teams in this season of Easter and just our church in general. So uh, for Good Friday, a great opportunity is to step in and help us with the setup team. It's like kind of a, a different time in the afternoon. So if you're accessible then and able, uh, come early and help us get set up so that we can have a great night together. Uh, the Easter egg hunts, there's options there on the form for you to, to say, hey, I want to be a part. I want to serve. I want to help out, bring food, show up, whatever. Uh, and then Easter Sunday, there's going to be some great opportunities for you to jump into one of our teams. Uh, one of the greatest needs, being sensitive to all of our amazing volunteers, is that being Easter Sunday, we want to make sure that uh, we're able to hang, greet people, all that, but then also tear down efficiently so that everyone serving that Sunday can be freed up to be with their family as well. So uh, maybe you would consider signing up to be part of the teardown team that Sunday. And then listen, if, if you, like Redemption is home, and you're like, this is my church, I plan on being around, coming back, uh, we really strongly consider, ask you to consider, we always say we want to see people connect with a group, serve with a team. And so if you've never stepped into serving with one of our team, be it kids, be it venue, be it connections, be it music, be it AV, there are some great opportunities for you to step in and serve with us. All right? So, um, man, it's going, to be, it's going to be fun. It might get a little wild when we surrender to the Holy Spirit. You might find yourself doing some things that you never thought you would do. Don't be too weird with it. Just follow Jesus, all right? You, you thought that was funny. All right, I'm doing my best today. All right, so listen, love you, family. Let's invite some people even for next Sunday. Can't wait to worship with you again. Thank you.